sit down as a celebration of No Country for Old Men, 2007 Coen Brothers movie. Uh, best Picture winner as far as awards go and a great film in my opinion. I remember being in the theater and when this movie ended, it was the only time that I can remember that I heard people cheering and cursing at the ending at the same time, uh, which to me is a very interesting thing. So a few things to look at in this phenomenal movie. Um, motifs, just just some of the visual motifs uh, that we use here in audio. And then again, the main story question, the maybe fake story question, maybe the real story question, and then some structure analysis stuff. Uh, that, that's kind of what I'm thinking to look at here. So in terms of motifs, the biggest thing in this movie in terms of visual motif is boots, feet, shoes, socks. So that's huge. Um, watching this movie with that in mind is a pretty funny thing because almost every chance, obviously not every chance, but almost every chance the Coen brothers get, they're incorporating feet, they're framing in feet. Um, they're putting the camera down for, um, feet, shoes, boots, all that stuff. By the end of the film, we have a character checking the bottom of their feet. So this brings us into blood and guns being another kind of theme, um, maybe more so than motif of the movie, but you could also say a motif, even though it's a very common one. But at the end of the film, a character, a character checks the bottom of their shoes, and that's how we know they've killed somebody. So the idea of boots and blood, that's a big deal, um, even as we'll discuss when the sheriff steps over, his boots steps over the blood in the um, motel at the end of the film. Another example of that. So why might that be important? Well, at least on the surface, this movie is a chase movie. So at the um, most, most, most core of that, what does that mean? That means if your feet aren't moving while somebody else's are, you're going to lose. So a great way to show anxiety or control anxiety, show tension, show success and failure is to show the feet um, in a very, very simple, symbolic way. The Coen brothers are masters of picking very simple storytelling tools like this, motifs like this. So um, they've done it before with just hats or the idea of, yeah, basically hats. But in this film, uh, No Country, it's, it's the boots, feet, shoes, and socks. Um, and it works very well for a movie that um, presents itself as a chase film uh, and is a chase film to some degree. So coin flips and fate, the idea of chance, that's a big deal here. We see it with the coin flips. Um, that's not necessarily a big surprise or secret or mind-blowing statement that coin flips and fate are connected. Um, a major theme, a major idea, it's not necessarily a hardcore repeated dialogue statement, but it is an important idea and it is a piece of dialogue. Um, I don't understand the sheriff saying, I don't want to run into something that I don't understand or the sheriff not understanding certain things that's going to come in in a huge way. Um, extreme nature. So if you're in the middle of a city and you call for help, chances are someone's going to hear you and they're going to come help you. If you're out in the middle of nature um, and there's nobody around and you call for help, chances are someone's not going to come and help you. So that's, I think, um, 
something to be aware of here, something the Coen brothers are aware of, and putting us in a lot of secluded areas really amps the um, this person versus this person uh, sort of thing. So, and then one lesson to, to look for as more of a technical thing is the lack of music in this movie is pretty amazing. Um, I mean, percentage-wise, the trailer has... Well, percentage-wise does kind of takes the power out of that statement. But the trailer basically has more music than the whole movie. So um, the movie has a few points where it brings in a, like a musical tone, a musical drone, a musical bed, something like that. So you get, you get some tension there. But it, they really keep silence, um, which uh, is a very gutsy move because music is a huge tool. What it does here, though, is, again, if you're hiding, if it's a chase movie, there's a lot of power in being able to hear footsteps approaching and kind of the crackle of the rocks beneath someone's boots who's coming after you. So music, at times, maybe would cover that up. So it makes um, it plays into that chase-type movie idea a little bit more. So those are some things to kind of look for as you're watching um, in terms of a structure breakdown, I think this part of the reason why this movie is amazing, aside from the fact that the shots, the timing, the tone, um, timing along with editing, um, it's just ridiculous. It's, this is a very good movie and it does something that almost no movies get a chance to do. It sets up a question which to me is a fake core story question. Um, it presents itself as a basic action thriller, action adventure type movie. And it does that by opening the film, by showing our bad guy, our Shigur, kill somebody. Showing our everyman, Llewellyn, um, find some money after a drug deal's gone wrong. He takes it and he basically tries to go on the run with it. So it's as simple as that. Um, we introduce the sheriff, Ed Tom, uh, around 30 minutes in. And for a movie that's 122 minutes long, we're looking at around an hour midpoint. And then our acts one and three are going to be around 30 minute pieces, perhaps. Um, again, check with the Coen brothers if you want um, verification on that. And also, something to be said about the Coen brothers, these guys could have 17 other layers below this that I'm not seeing yet, and I've seen this movie a lot. Um, so take that for what it's worth. These guys are potentially the best living filmmakers. Uh, that's a heck of a statement. I get it. But anyway, um, their stuff is... Uh, very aware. They know exactly the goal of every moment and of every scene. So I'll stop rambling on that. But the end of act one is, I think really is locked in with um, Sheriff Ed Tom uh, showing up. So we have the murder, the finding of the money, somebody going on the run, and then the sheriff um, coming in to take a look at what's going on. That launches act one for me with a um, misleading story question, which is, can Llewellyn get away with the money? Can he better his life? Um, can he maintain his uh, family or his connection with his wife while he uh, empowers himself with a bunch of cash? As we move forward, the movie kind of goes with that, or at least um, does not 
explicitly contradict that or um, mess with that. So we go through Llewellyn's. We go to the motel where we stash the money. Um, We introduce Carson. We finally get to the hotel, which to me is the midpoint of the film. And this is where, again, as I've said before, uh, the the T-Rex eats somebody midpoint. The showing up at Sid's house in Toy Story midpoint. This is when Shigur and Llewellyn come face to face, basically for the first time or in the most intense way. This is a, a major shootout between them. So when in Jurassic Park, when T-Rex arrives and starts eating people, it's a similar setup here where Shigur arrives and starts eating people, basically. Um, he's been eating people the whole time, but I'm sure T-Rex was eating certain things also in Act 1 and leading up to the midpoint. So the hotel's a big point there, and the story still kind of presents itself as Will, as, as focused on Will Llewellyn get away. Um, after the act or midpoint confrontation between the two of them, we go to the hospital. Um, Carson then gets killed. There's a great moment there when you're t- thinking about boots and feet and shoes and all that stuff. Um, Shigur puts his feet up on the bed after he shoots Carson because the blood is coming uh, uh, towards his feet. So another example of boots and blood. Um, we have a conversation with sheriff, the sheriff. Um, who are these people is something he says there. And this points us back to the I don't understand. And this is where the Coen brothers start to reveal what's really going on with this movie. At first a little bit more gently and then uh, it's more and more blunt as we move forward. But if you really think about it, the opening of this film is a monologue. And that's where this, I don't want to run into something that I don't understand, quote, comes from. It's a monologue that talks about the generations of of police and sheriffs carrying guns or not. So it speaks to the violence of society or the trajectory of violence in society. So I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But who are these people, the sheriff says. Um, The sheriff meets with Llewellyn's wife. He promises um, that he will not hurt Llewellyn. Um, He's trying to find him before Llewellyn gets into even more trouble. And right after this, he does find him. And Llewellyn has been killed off screen, which um, is the same in the book. It's off page. So it's interesting, the Coen brothers didn't mess with that too much. They went with it. This usually blows a lot of people away because they think this movie is Llewellyn's movie and they think the core story question is can Llewellyn get away with the money and all that stuff. And if you have 30 minutes left and he's laying there dead on the ground, um, it can be pretty shocking. And this is, to me where we go, we wrap up Act 2 and we launch into Act 3, and we reveal that this movie is not Llewellyn's, it's the Sheriff's movie. And that's why we start with that monologue, which is the Sheriff, and you don't see him, 
but you hear him talking about the world that he's in in his perspective. And you realize that he set up from the very beginning this almost analysis on violence in society. And we start to realize, or it starts to be revealed to us over the next half hour, we see it more and more, that this true story question is potentially, what is this world? What am I? What's going on? And then something that is very interesting for movies, what do you do if you're not the hero? Or what do you do if you're not supposed to be the core hero, the one hero, if you can't fix everything? And that question for a main character to be struggling with in a movie, um, sure, if you if you do that in the beginning and, a, and then you show somebody working out and punching a lot of punching bags uh, and then they become the hero, that works pretty well. But the idea of presenting this question as you're wrapping up a film, uh, I've never seen anything like this and that's not to say it's not out there for sure, but it, it's so well done and it's so dangerous, and I think it works so well, and it's very interesting to me. So from this point on, we're at the crime scene where Llewellyn died. We go visit a family member of ours, and he delivers a huge point here, a huge statement, that this country's harder on people, you can't stop what's coming. It's not all waiting on you. That's vanity. And that might not be a direct quote, but those are the general things that he comes up with if it's not. Um, and in the part of a film that is often a showdown to kind of have this vanity statement is, is pretty interesting to me. We then go and uh, see the wife interacting with uh, Sugar. So we uh, meet her after her mother has passed away, after the funeral. Sugar is there waiting. They have a conversation that is in many ways a reflection of his conversation with Carson. and the coins involved and we leave we check our feet sugar checks his feet which means he's killed her he drives off he gets teed he gets hit um by another car as he drives through a green light which underscores the chance of it ultimately he gets up and walks away and we don't ever necessarily catch him. Um, that's not wrapped up. He has an, inter in an interaction with two young boys that is an extreme reflection of his interaction with three young men, uh, with um, Llewellyn's interaction with three young men on the bridge earlier in the film. Very similar. And then he just walks off. So the crime scene I mentioned that we kind of return to in Act 3 that's Sheriff Ed Tom going back there. There's a there's a pretty ambiguous moment where we see some reflection. We think that Sugar is there. We see that 
Uh, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Ed Tom, the sheriff, is kind of sitting, sits down at the end of it. Um, Shigur has, has been kind of referenced as some sort of a ghost. So I think that plays into that. And at that point, I feel like the movie is changing its... It's revealing itself in a way that it's not sticking to as many um, classic rules. I don't think they're as worried about locking down Shigur in that scene. So I know I'm jumping back a little bit in terms of the story structure. But this is still Act 3. Back at the crime scene. This interaction with the sheriff and Shigur. Um, we also have this reference on vanity. The wife being killed. The car wreck. And then the whole thing ends with Ed Tom sitting in an explaining to his wife two dreams that he had. Um, and they both had his father and one, his father gave him some money and he lost it. And in the second one, he's basically focusing on being out in the night and being out in the cold and moving on ahead, seeing his father pass him um, knowing that somewhere out there at the end of all this, he's going to be with his father again, sitting around a fire with some warmth. And it's a very simple, abstract way to take this into kind of a metaphysical, spiritual place. Where you have the sheriff at the end of his career who's mentioned that he kind of expected... Um, God to reveal himself more to him later in his life or he expected maybe to have more of an answer and he still doesn't quite understand but he knows that there's a lot of cold but somewhere out there there's connection and there's warmth and that may or may not be in this world or this country no country for old men and the title re-locks itself in um, so I, I think it's a great ending and it ends really, you're, you're listening to the, to the clock on the wall ticking. It's a very quiet, calm ending. One other thing with that is earlier in the film, uh, the sheriff, there's a scene where he mentions, um, a tool that they use to kill cattle. And that's in most movies, that's a scene where the police officer or the sheriff or the, or the detective would make a connection. Oh my gosh, that's the weapon that the bad guy's using. That's what Shigur's using to kill people because we discussed it earlier. There's no bullet. In this movie, he doesn't make that connection. The audience is, um, and you got to be really careful with this, I think a lot of the audience sees the connection and is wanting him to make it and he doesn't. And they do that again to start bringing you into this idea of what the movie is actually about. This guy cannot comprehend the violence. So, anyway. No Country for Old Men. It's a great film. I would check it out or revisit it or double revisit it or whatever that would be, rewatching it wherever you're at. And uh, boots, feet, shoes, socks in terms of chase, coin flips and fate, blood and guns. I don't understand extreme nature, lack of music, 
a potential fake story question or misleading story question that reveals itself um, later in the film uh, where you go from, will this guy get money and survive to will this other guy understand what the world is or what he is? How do we deal with not being a hero? Which again is one heck of a uh, one heck of an awesome question to ask in a movie. There you go. No country for old men.